Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Bank Global Linker, a free digital platform that empowers Filipino MSMEs to digitize their business and go global. Sign up now at unionbank.globallinker.com slash hustleshare to get a free ebook on surviving COVID-19 for your business. Also by Tagcash. Spend, play, earn, and build a mobile wallet super app for your startup. Go now to hustleshare.com slash tagcash to apply and get your startup's mobile wallet. And Chatbot PH. Save time and effort for your business. Automate how your team does customer service, marketing, and key redundant processes. All by using a chatbot. Invest in your own chatbot now and use AI to run your business. Go to www.chatbot.ph. As I was going through the initial journey of building the initial, you know, MVP of the app and things like that, it was hard for sure. Uh, but we were really excited about the the opportunity that, that presented itself. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Bate Young. Welcome to episode 87 of the Hustle Share Podcast. My name is Ronster, and I'm your host. And this episode is powered by Union Bank Global Linker, a free digital platform that empowers Filipino MSMEs to digitize their business. 
We are a proud affiliate of the Podcast Network Asia, but before we begin, we'd like to remind you that this podcast contains not safe for work language, so make sure there are no kids when you're listening to this. Because today we're going to have a hustler that hasn't just been doing okay work, but he's been doing some good work. And his name is Andrew Koger, the founder and CEO of goodwork.ph. And Andrew will share how it was like growing up in Boston and how he learned entrepreneurship early from his father. Then he will share how it was like studying in Princeton, where he studied history and became a magna cum laude back in college. Then he will share what it was like being an investor where he had to go to emerging markets around the world to look for interesting companies to invest in, which led him to settling down here in the Philippines because of Lazada, where he was able to experience the transition when Rocket Internet got acquired by Alibaba in Lazada. Then he will share what it took for him to take that leap and become an entrepreneur himself and put up good work where they were able to raise $1.6 million lately. So if you're ready to learn the hustle behind goodwork.ph, let's begin this episode right now. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share Podcast. We are with someone who has been doing a lot of good work lately, pun intended. Uh, again, uh, as I've said in the intro, they recently just uh, raised uh, $1.2 million. Am I correct? 1.6. 1.6. So there's a, I'm down 400. My bad. I'm not going <laughs> to top on that. But again, welcome to the show. Andrew, is, do I say it Cougar or Coger? Koger. Koger, okay. Because so, some, some names have a German pronunciation to them, right? So at least you're not a cougar. That's a good thing. <laughs> so again, welcome to the show, Andrew Cougar. I mean, Koger. Why do I keep calling you Koger? <laughs> Andrew of goodwork.ph. Welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for having me. I'm very excited to, to be on the podcast. As I mentioned before we got started, I've, mm-hmm. I've listened to a couple of your episodes already, and it's, uh, it's a great podcast. No, it's, it's, again, we're trying to pay it forward or try to give back to at least the community because, again, not, there's not a lot of people that actually talk about the Philippines in terms of, uh, of, of startups, right? And if they are, they're too few and far between, right? So at least this, this gets a consistent spotlight over the industry. But Andrew, before I do get carried away, since you've listened to some of the episodes, Andrew, what's your hustle? So I, I mean, I guess everybody defines that that word a little bit differently. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, I've I've always been passionate about business, and um, I started off doing uh, investing. I, I worked for a hedge fund in New York, and oh wow, approached the business world more from an investing perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the last couple of years, of transition from investing to working on the business side. Mm-hmm. First at Lazada and, and now launching Good Work, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's about building an awesome new company, right. uh, helping to scale it up in the Philippines, and, mm-hmm. and you know reaching its full potential. That is amazing. And again, that that's also I've, I've I don't know a lot of people that have been that route. I've seen people go from entrepreneur investment and go back to entrepreneur, but I haven't heard from an investment point of view down to the business side because it gets it, it gets really dirty and messy real real quick there. But before I get carried away. I want to know your origin story, and I need you to 
Buckle up because we're going to ride the Hustle Share time machine. There you go. Um, okay, uh, just uh, uh, I just hope that we have enough gas to go all the way back. But Andrew, I'm curious, right? So um, you didn't grow up here. Um, how was like? How was it like growing up uh, for you? Because you know, um, every single one of us, uh, especially in the startup world, had a little bit of a hustle going up. What was that like for you when you uh, uh, did the when you started out and well, what are, what are the first hustles that you remember doing? Yeah. I, so I grew up in Boston, uh, in the United States go. and, uh, had a, had a great childhood. I lived in one of the towns right outside of Boston. Okay. Uh, went through the, the public schools in that town and, and had a pretty normal, uh, I guess American childhood. Okay. Um, my, my father was actually an entrepreneur also. He's an engineer okay. and had started a, an engineering company. Okay. Uh, and so that his business kind of grew up at the same time that I was growing up. So it was a really mm-hmm. cool experience to at the kitchen table, hear what he was going through. And mm-hmm. I remember being, you know, 10 years old running around playing games in his office and stuff like that. Got it. Uh, so maybe some of that rubbed off in, in different ways. Uh, so I was always interested in that. And, and then in universities, uh, studied, studied history actually, but with a economics focus, Mm-hmm. And so just always was interested in, in business and the, the history of business and the, the history of entrepreneurs around the world. Wow. Uh, and so kind of came at it from watching my, my dad and also right. reading about different successful businesses over time. And that, that's basically what sparked my, my interest um, in eventually going into the business world and, and being an entrepreneur eventually. Absolutely. And again, Boston is... Uh it's well known again, just uh, being the sports junkie that I am. Um, they, they're, they're the, the community of Boston, I guess in sports, they don't just take that lightly. They're hardcore fans and they, they're, they're very, you know, hard. That's a hardworking community uh, to, to be part of, you know, the Sox, the Celtics, name it, you know, they, they, well, that's it was, it was my generation that had the, the transition from Boston always losing to always winning. So that was Correct. interesting to grow up with. Like yeah. 1996, the New England Patriots made it to the Super Bowl for the first time in 30 years mm-hmm. and then lost to the Green Bay Packers. And yep. Was, and then you were right there in the heyday of freaking Tom Brady. Uh, yeah, and that, it got better after that. Right. You know, and then the Celtics became with Paul Pierce and, of course, a couple of World Series in um, – in, in, in baseball. So that's a great time to be in. But one thing that I'm also curious of, okay, so you, you, there's already a, an interest uh, coming from yourself uh, towards your father. What are the things that you saw your father do as an entrepreneur that really rubbed off on you? That's a good question. Um, so he, um, he studied, he's an electri- electrical engineer, so an expertise in, in designing and building semiconductor chips. Wow. And so this was a little bit before my time. I, I was super young, mm-hmm. but he'd worked for larger companies uh, earlier in his career mm-hmm. and saw, you know, learned a lot from that experience, uh, but then saw certain gaps in the market where there was an opportunity to come out mm-hmm. with uh, a different technology and a different product. And so that was kind of the origin of, of the company that he started. And so that was, you know, that's inspiring to see that, that vision of seeing the overall landscape of the market and then seeing where there's maybe a gap where mm-hmm. you could start something new and, and launch something from scratch. And, and that's what he did. And it started out with uh, just him and then him and a couple other people. And then it, 
it grew to be much bigger over you know over a five or ten year period. Okay, and and that was I guess normal, right? Because again, not everybody is blessed with the hustle of seeing an entrepreneur in the family, right? I mean, uh, at least in a normal household, uh, some of them there's different kinds of hustle, but the hustle of an entrepreneur, especially coming from a parent, really opens your eyes that oh, okay, so that's how it is, right? That that's how hard you have to work and whatnot. I saw that a little bit from my, with my mom because she did a lot of high side hustles trying to make ends meet. Uh, as I was growing up, uh, being raised by a single mom. So it's like, oh, well, okay. So we understood that, hey, nothing's going to be given to me as well uh, growing up. Now, you said you studied the history of, 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 of entrepreneurs and whatnot. And you just didn't study anywhere. You just, you, let me just flex you out a little bit, all right? <laughs> you, I'm, I'm at your LinkedIn. And you studied in Princeton and graduated as a mania cum laude. Are you fucking kidding me? That is amazing. How did you guys do that? What? What, what, what was the, that experience studying in Princeton and being on Nikum Laudi? Uh, yeah, no, it was an awesome experience. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it it's an amazing place to go to school. The, the professors are incredible. The, the people you're surrounded with are incredible also. So I think, you know, what I took away from that experience was, one, uh, you know, first off, I, I just really enjoyed uh, that type of learning. So Correct. for me, taking a bunch of history classes and economics classes and things like that, I, I really enjoyed it. So it was, it was kind of easy to do well, but I was interested in those topics. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the second big thing is just the community I was surrounded by. Um, you know, they're super hardworking uh, classmates that I had then. And then moving to New York after, after university, a, a lot of my classmates came there as well. And, and getting okay. to see the work ethic that people put into their careers right um, right from the beginning. So, you know, there's certainly a, a privilege in going to a, uh, a great school like that, but then right. to see people take that, take that opportunity and then still commit themselves to working really, really hard uh, mm-hmm. was really inspiring to see and, and something I've always tried to live up to since then. Absolutely. And again, um, one thing that, well, before we move on to you going to New York, you studied history, and you mentioned earlier that you studied how uh, the forefathers, in terms of entrepreneurs and whatnot, uh, uh, did their craft. And one thing I see a lot of what the world kind of messes up now is we're making the same mistakes that a lot of the our previous generations actually did. You know, it's a lot of prejudice, a lot of whatnot. And me being also a big history buff, I like I like reading up on what people fucked up on before, right? Is this as um. It, it, it's mind-blowing that we're making the same exact mistakes where they're, they're you know, uh, that leads to much bigger disasters down the road. Who was, now my, my question is, who was your biggest inspiration uh, of all the people that you studied that, hey, if I'm going to fucking hustle, I want to I wanna be like that. Uh, this is who, who my idol would be, uh, the one that you studied. Oh, man, that's, a t- that's an impossible question, I think. Um, there's so many, you know, part of what's really cool about studying history is learning all, all the, it was the famous guys, right? Like Henry Ford or, uh, Vanderbilt who built the railroads in the U S or John Rockefeller. Yeah. The the famous ones. Uh, but then there's also lots and lots of kind of lesser known stories that are also really interesting to read about as well. So, Mm. and this one's also still pretty famous, but one of the papers that I wrote in college, I remember was about the, the gold rush in California oh, wow. uh, in the 1800s. Okay. And so I mean, 
not to go in all the details, but in, in the 1800s, California was kind of like the emerging market right. for America that maybe Southeast Asia is like today. It was right. uh, much less developed and it was an economy that was growing really fast and there was a lot right. of opportunity. So everyone goes out to California to look for gold. A couple of people took a different approach and this is the famous better to sell shovels to gold miners than to be a gold miner story. Right. Uh, so there are people that sold shovels Another famous one is Levi Strauss. Wow. So the, what, what, what's the, his, I, I don't know the story of Levi Strauss. I mean, let's not talk. What, give me the skinny. Whatever, man. No. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's a little bit after the main gold rush, but, but Levi Strauss started, started selling jeans oh. uh, to, to San Francisco, to all the, the hardworking right. gold miners and, and uh, harbor workers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the origin. So same, same concept. Instead of taking the risky business of mm-hmm. going into mining, uh, he was supplying clothing to, uh, to all the miners of California. So anyway, that's just, it's one random example, yeah. but all of those stories in history are, are really inspiring from a, an was entrepreneurship there, perspective. Was there a common denominator, uh, among all of those successful forefathers or, you know, tycoons prior that, uh, stuck with you that, all right, I'm going to, this this thing never gets old, you know, uh, in terms of hustle and what they did. Because again, it's also great that you have deep insights, not just random, you know, facts that are like right now. People have uh, uh, a tendency to get uh, manipulated through fake news. You having that's uh, the the ability to really dig deep and study the real facts or uh, whatever it may be. You can also adapt a lot of what what made it work for them. And again, there are also things that still now it still applies. Was there one that you really remember uh, that stuck with you? Yeah, there, there's lots, but I, I, I feel like a, a pattern that repeats is being very persistent. Uh, there's a, a resiliency or a persistence that you see across almost all entrepreneurship stories. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you learn more of the details and now I'm experiencing it personally, stuff goes wrong all the time, right? There's things that you think are going to work and then they don't. And and you have to just every day wake up and and try again and keep working on it, keep chipping away. Uh, And you see that whether it's, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs more recently, or whether it's all the way back to, you know, the 1800s. That's something that you see happening over and over again, where things go wrong all the time and they, they have to keep working. Got it. Now, Let's talk about wh- when you moved to New York. What was the thing that you did in New York? Did you do investment right away or was there any uh, first job that you did and what did you do there? Yeah, that was my first job. I, I, got, I got pretty lucky that my first job out of okay. university was, was an awesome, awesome opportunity. Okay. Uh, so I was working for a small investment, uh, investment fund. Uh, it was based in New York, mm-hmm. uh, but invested primarily in emerging markets. Nice. So we, we would invest in stock markets all around the world. There was a small team. It was, it was two partners and then about five or six analysts. So I was one of the analysts. Okay. And how it would work was once every quarter, mm-hmm. we would all basically pick a region of the world, uh, give a short pitch to the, to the big partner wow. on why we should invest there, mm-hmm. and then we'd go do the research. So over the course of four years, I went to – 30 or 35 different countries wow. and would fly solo to India or Pakistan or Philippines a couple times. Oh, wow. 
So that's how you got you got here. Yeah. Okay. So I, I came here actually for my old job first. And so I would spend one or two weeks in the local market and meet 30 or 40 different companies, um, interview the CEO or CFO about their business, what makes them successful, what their growth opportunity is, what's going to happen to the margins, all those things. And then go back to New York and present it to the rest of the team. And we pick the best opportunities to invest in. So that was a really cool, um, learning experience and and kind of, uh, you know, baptism by fire into, uh, into the business world. All right. Now, before uh, we continue and ask you deeper of what you did, because I'm very curious about, you know, you, the, that process of you going back and forth to all these countries and you, you have to be looking for something. But let's talk about that more after the break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We're still with Andrew Coker. Okay, I said that right now. I stopped calling you a cougar, my bad. <laughs> he is not a cougar. All right. Um, all right. Uh, Andrew, before you, we, we took the break, you mentioned that you're right. What you did in your first job was, you know, really. Uh, look at emerging markets to invest on. But I'm curious about several things that I want to know because our first baptism by fire uh, always leaves an indelible mark to our, to our hustle, right? What were the hard skills? Yeah, your magna cum laude and whatnot. But what were the hard skills you had to learn in that stint that is stuck with you till now? Because, you know, sometimes what we study in school doesn't apply to, 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 the, to the real job. So, what were those things that you had to, to learn and, and that's also stuck with you as well? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, some of it did apply from school, like the, the analytical skill set mm-hmm. of analyzing history to then analyzing a, a business was actually quite similar. Mm. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff that was different also. So, and one obvious one would be when you're reading history, it's all written, right? You yeah. just in a book, when you go interview a company, you've got to, in a one hour meeting, build up enough trust and prove that you know about their business and, and be able to have a conversation, right. uh, where you get a lot of good information from, from the company. Mm. And so that was something I'd never really done before and had to build mm. up that skill set. Um, the, then there's all, I mean, there's lots of kind of fun stories about things that would go wrong, even on those research trips also. So you, right. you know, I'd go to India for two weeks and I, I, I think my record was, I took 13 flights in 14 days what? waking up at, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Cause so, I mean, India has all these different cities all around, right, the, right. All around the country. And so you'd wake up at 5am, take a flight. Oh, do God. six meetings and then take a flight to, you know, that night to go to the next city and keep going like wow. that. So that was already, you know, a little bit of the, the grind or hustle uh-huh. uh, style, even though right. it was in a investing context. Yeah. Now let's, let's from a different lens, from an investor's lens, especially as, as you analyze these companies, what were you looking for in all of these companies that you're, you're kind of shortlisting and trying to dig deep on? Because again, perspective of an investor uh especially now that you're an entrepreneur it's kind of a cheat code because you now know exactly what what makes the investors tick right uh you know how they think what were you looking for as an investor to look at all these companies yeah so we're always looking for for investing in really high quality companies that had a long-term growth opportunity and that was another thing that made the experience uh really valuable for me was investing in the stock market often gets a reputation as being very short-term right. oriented. And that's mm-hmm. true for a lot of people. So you're investing because the stock rises at, you know, whatever, 12 today, and you think it's going to go to 15 tomorrow. Got it. That was not our style. Our style was let's look for a business that we can own own shares in for okay. five or seven years. Oh, wow. We had some companies that we own for 10 years. And so with that kind of mindset, you want to really understand their business model, what makes the customers like their products. Are the customers going to be sticky? Mm-hmm. We used to talk about stickiness a lot. Like, are they going to stay loyal to this brand or, or switch to a different one? Right. And does that support profitability over a long time? Mm-hmm. And then because it was in, in uh, fast-growing emerging markets, there were really cool growth opportunities also. So, you know, a, a business that sells farming equipment in Turkey right. uh, has a really long-term growth opportunity as the agricultural market there develops. And so we were trying to find that combination of really high quality business plus a good long-term growth opportunity. Got it. Now, who makes the cut, right? Because uh, of all these back and forth that you have to do, right? There's, there's always going to be some, you know, collateral damage, like uh, almost, but not quite, right? But for those uh, companies that eventually you, event, uh, you support, what what are what do they have that makes you write that check? And again, that's a long lifespan that you want to put because most people flip it, and especially in a stock market, like oh, okay, there you go, uh, uh, a nice a nice uh, uh, you know hockey stick, and I'm gonna sell high, buy low. But this is a long term commitment, sort of like a VC investment, even right? Um, yeah. What 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 uh, do those companies have that makes you want to invest in them? I, yeah, I think it was a combination of one having a really proven business model. So they they have a strategy 
to you know have a good product, good service, good distribution, and then you see that proof in their financial statements. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to tell a good story about why their customers like. I had so many meetings where the company would say our customers love us, mm-hmm. but then for some companies they had a really good profit margin, right? And for other companies they didn't, and that was a good way of using numbers to to uh, fact check what Got the story it. was. Because if your customers love you, then they'll pay a premium to use you. Right. And but they're going to be they sticky too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But if they, if they kind of like you, but they'd also switch to somebody else, mm-hmm. then you see much tighter margins. And so right. we look for that kind of proof. And then we'd also look at valuation a lot. Uh, make sure, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, buy loan so high, we, we took that seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we did some, some investors don't really care about meeting the management team, but right. we took that really seriously. And so we'd go travel to the market, meet the company right. and meet the managers uh, and, and try to make sure that, that they were good partners. Okay. Now, last question before we go to Lazada. Um, what were the hard skills and soft skills that you developed over time that, uh, in, in that you know, grind? That's a, lot of, that's a lot of traveling and a lot of grinding. You know? And sometimes it, it can get very exhausting, I can imagine. But what were those things that you know, really uh, you got from that, that, from that uh, experience you got? Yeah, I think the hard skills were the, the accounting and financial analysis. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, so I didn't study that in school, right? A lot of people study business. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading history books, uh, but then over the course of four years, got, uh, you know, really built that skill set of analyzing income statement, analyzing a balance sheet right. and being able to use those numbers to help tell the story or support the story mm-hmm. of whether a business is doing well or not. So that hard skill was, was very valuable. And I use that still today. Mm-hmm. Soft skills are more like what I mentioned before of, kind of building that quick relationship with these with these companies they would get lots of analysts that would come over and ask them questions right uh but if you could prove pretty quickly that you had done a lot of research already and you had smart questions to ask that would be a much more valuable conversation for both parties Uh, and so being able to kind of convey that Mm -hmm. um that knowledge and trust was a soft skill that i had to learn also that is amazing now i'm curious how the hell did you ch- get to Lazada and why the Philippines? Because you've been exposed to all these countries and whatnot. What, what made you stick here? You know, what, what was the opportunity here and what was it like when you settled down here too? Well, it's funny. When, so when I graduated from university, I said, I want to move to New York and do this, this, this investment job right. for maybe about four years and then I'll pick a really exciting market and wow. go commit yeah, it all there. Out. I but I, I forgot about that until my parents reminded me. Oh, after I moved to Manila. <laughs> but it, it, okay. <laughs> it ended up being almost exactly what I had said. And so, mm-hmm. you know, after four years of investing, um, investing is really interesting, but it, it's all analysis. You don't get to really help build the business. Right. right. Uh, and so I wanted to, you know, get my hands dirty and, and help to actually build a business uh, in an exciting market. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to switch from investing to the business side. And then also I, I uh, had always been interested in international business, but my experience doing investing just, you know, made that even uh, an even stronger belief. And so I wanted to find a market where I could be, a, be, a, be an, excuse me, be an entrepreneur and, and help okay. build a company. Mm-hmm. And the Philippines is amazing. It's, it's one of the fastest growing economies in the world. A right. hundred million people, mm-hmm. uh, very consumer driven economy. 
Uh, and then on the tech side, you see, I mean, social media penetration is, is massive. Yep. That's led to e-commerce growth. It's really, really exciting. What Lazada and Shopee have done over the last uh, five to 10 years now is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that opens up all these new opportunities. Once people are using their phones for Facebook and Instagram, and then Lozada, what are they going to do next? And so then you see Grab and Oncos and, and Good Work and right. and these other opportunities that open up. Mm-hmm. The on demand, uh, the on demand uh, economy, they call it. But all right, wh- how did you get into Lozada? Because uh, when do you got when you got there? Was it after the acquisition or before the acquisition or during? It was. It was kind of right during. It, oh, I, wow. I accepted. Uh, so, I mean, basically, I knew that I wanted to, to explore opportunities in Southeast Asia. Okay. And I actually had a work trip already okay. to the Philippines and Indonesia at my old okay. job. Mm-hmm. And so I was, while I was there, I, uh, I did a couple of interviews when I was in Manila, wow. including with the Lozada team. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it, how it happened. Wow. Um, what was the environment like? Because again, Lazada, prior to the investment of Alibaba, right? Um, Lazada was taking a lot of heat because of the rocket internet style of, you know, uh, Blitzkrieg, Blitzscaling and whatnot. People didn't understand that. But now we know that that's a proven formula that works because again, hindsight is always twenty twenty. just like in history, you know, people will throw shit at you because we, they don't, they don't uh, get what the hell you're doing. And most of the visionaries usually go through that process. And the validation for Lazada that, all right, this is the time was right and the time was, uh, the market was ripe as well, uh, came from that investment of Jack Ma into Lazada. When you came in, you said you're right smack in the middle of that process. What changed and how drastic did it change from Lazada from being, okay, there's an e-commerce site to all of a sudden becoming a fucking behemoth starting during the Burr months, you know, fucking change the whole landscape of retail. Yeah, it was a really cool experience when I joined. So mm-hmm. I was there in 2017, and when I first joined, it was still mostly mostly Rocket. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all the managers were were from the Rocket days, and and, right. and Alibaba hadn't really come in yet. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, Rocket has a, a reputation that's well earned of being, um, you know, really aggressive and moving really fast and, and hustling really hard and. And there's good parts of that and bad parts of that. But in Lozada's case, it was extremely successful uh, all across Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And so meeting those types of people was really inspiring and, and uh, a great learning experience. But mm-hmm. then in the second half of my time at Lozada, Alibaba started to get more active, bringing in new technology and new systems and new insights. Right. And that was something that Rocket, you know, because they always want to start something and then they tend to sell it, they don't invest as much in the kind of back-end technology and, yeah. and systems. Mm. Alibaba takes that really seriously. And so they brought in a warehouse management system and a new, uh, new marketing tools and things mm. like that. And so I got to see both sides of it, which was, which was really interesting. And so then yeah. going to launch good work, you know, what we're trying to do is bring that kind of, you know, that hustle and that, right. that, um, that aggressive mentality of trying to grow mm. quickly but then also bring in some of the, the strategies that we learned from Alibaba also when it comes to gamification and right. features in the product development, things like that. We can talk about more, but, but it was really cool to, to see both sides, the, the rocket side and then the, the Chinese e-commerce right. side also. 
Yeah, and and both works, and and I, you couldn't really tell, but again, that transition was was seamless. But before we take our next break, I want to know because your official role in Alibaba was head of fulfillment, and this is probably the biggest headache <laughs> of all of, of all in in that ecosystem because delivery and you know just God knows how many SKUs and that. What's that system like? What was that experience like? And again, what also, well, what did you learn in that role that you got? Because, all right, it's a fresh new country. Yes, the Philippines, you saw, you understood. I'm pretty sure there was still a lot of adjustment you had to take because the Filipino things of doing this, Josep, is totally different, right? Um, though we're very Americanized, I would say, but still an Asian country. Um, what was those adjustments like that you did? And how did you do your role, uh, given that this is a heck of a challenge that you had to go through? Yeah, so my role was a little bit different. So I was the head of fulfillment by Lazada, which was actually a service that we offered to our merchants. Mm. So there was a different team that did the the actual logistics work, right? There's, there was one team that moved the trucks around and made the warehouse operate and, and did the, you know, got parcels from one spot to another, usually right. on time. My role was to uh, kind of market and offer and support that, the, that suite of services mm. to the merchants on Lazada. So in the U S Amazon has something called fulfillment by Amazon. Yeah. And this is the same idea. So merchants that yeah. sell on Lazada, right? Yeah, exactly. So the Lazada merchants, um, you know, historically a lot of them are in, in QC or they're in Tondo or different parts right. of Manila and they operate out of, out of a five story walk up right. apartment, whatever yeah. they have. And that made sense five years ago. Mm. But then they grew their business, you know, 50x or 100x sometimes, right. doing millions of dollars uh, in revenue out of the five, fifth floor walk-up apartment, and right. it didn't make sense anymore. Correct. And so what Lazada started offering that I was in charge of was inviting those merchants to move their inventory into the Lazada warehouse mm. and use the Lazada fulfillment services right. still on the balance sheet of the merchant. The merchant still owns their, their mm. goods. But the orders would be fulfilled by Lazada. Technically, it's like consignment, right? That that's what it is—a new age consignment. Because Lazada takes a cut of it, right, of 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 the profits a little bit. Is that the business model, or uh, just does it straight up for the merchant, or does the merchant pay for the uh, FBA replica? Yeah, it's still the marketplace model. So it's the the sale is still done by the merchant. Okay. but it's just instead of the product starting at the merchant's warehouse, the product mm-hmm. starts at the Lazada warehouse. Mm-hmm. And we would see that it would be, you know, it could be a 50% faster delivery time mm-hmm. if it came from fulfillment by Lazada instead of from the merchant. That's and amazing. delivery time is, it always has a huge impact on the customer rating, on repurchase okay. rates. Right. So it was, it was a big win-win for everybody. It meant the customers would buy more. It meant the merchants also could focus on the commercial side of their business on marketing the products and, and developing new products and not have to worry about the logistics. What were the challenges you had to go through on that one? Because again, this, this is a totally new pivot also of how business was done. And you know, if, uh, you know, traditional business people also is like, Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. That's, that's how, how people, uh, think. And now you're getting their stocks, putting them in their, in your warehouse of Lazada. 
where you know people who are more hands on probably feel felt a little empty, like hey, where the hell's my socks? What, what, what happened here? Yeah, what's going on? Exactly. They, they want that control, especially if they're running it like a mom and pop. Um, how what were those challenges you had to go through in breaking those stigma and the the processes you had to put in place to make that work? Yeah. So actually, the the service was already set up before I joined, but it hadn't really been figured out, and and mm-hmm. so the merchants, exactly as you said were hesitant because they like to see and, and right. count their inventory every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I joined, the first thing I did is I went out and I met as many merchants as I could. Oh, wow. So I, the, Lazada, the Lazada office is in BGC, right. but I was spending a lot of time in, in Chinatown and Manila and QC traveling right. all around, uh, getting acquainted with the traffic and, <laughs> and learning, uh, learning about those fears. So trying to ask as many questions as I could which goes back to the investing experience of, okay, you have a one hour meeting. How do right. you get somebody's trust and, and learn what they, you know, about how they, they view the world. Right. And so I would do that in this case and try and understand what are the big concerns that the merchants have. Got then it. we went and we tried to fix all those concerns so that they would trust the service and they would commit their inventory to our warehouse so that we'd get that benefit of faster customer delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that works pretty well. We, you know, a lot of the merchants are, are native Filipino and, and right. uh, most of the Lazada team is, is from the Philippines. In fact, that works great. Mm-hmm. A lot of the merchants are also Chinese and, and they, right. uh, some of them weren't, couldn't really even speak Tagalog or English. Right. And so we ended up, we ended up translating the fulfillment by Lazada pitch deck to Mandarin. Into a one, in, yeah. into a one page wow. uh, Chinese language version. And so I would just show that I would show my phone to the merchants and uh, that had a huge impact. We wow. saw a huge uplift in, in usage once we started doing that. That is amazing. I didn't know it was that crazy that you really had to like bring around a pitch deck translated in Chinese yeah. in yeah. order to, to get the message across. All right. Now, before uh, we take our last break, what made you do the jump? Because right, just recently, again, you got the 1.6 mil December 2019. But I didn't realize you started this. Uh, this uh, becoming an entrepreneur, June 2018. Uh, again, people always see the end product. They didn't know the hustle. What made you uh, do the jump and become an entrepreneur coming from, especially in a highly competitive world of e-commerce in, in Lazada? Yeah, well, something I, I always knew I wanted to do eventually. Um, but I was having a great experience at Lazada. You know, all these stories we're talking about, I was having a really good time and and Lazada has been growing uh, amazingly in the Philippines and across Southeast Asia. So mm-hmm. it was a really cool experience, and I learned a ton from, from being there. Mm-hmm. But then it just it became obvious that there's all these new opportunities also, okay. not only across Southeast Asia, but especially in the Philippines. Okay. And so looking at the big, if, if you break down the economy into the biggest, biggest chunks, you have uh, products like shopping for products, you have food, you have transportation, you have travel, you have services. Mm-hmm. And in every one of those other big verticals, mm-hmm. you already had a, a massive kind of unicorn status e-commerce player, whether it's Grab or NinjaVan or Lazada right. or Shopee. Mm-hmm. And in the service economy, there wasn't yet a big player like that. Correct. And so that, that just seemed like a massive opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got really excited about uh, about that opportunity and, and felt mm-hmm. that it was the time to time to do it. And so I left Lazada and, and started Good Work. 
Got it. And you, I would assume you did bootstrap this from the from the get go, or did you have some angel funding coming in? Yeah, we had some a little bit of angel funding at the beginning okay. uh, that gave us the runway to to build the initial product mm. uh, and get established in the market, mm-hmm. uh, and that gave us the, the resources to get to the stage where we could then do this seed round that, that you mentioned. Got it. Now, uh, before we take our break, who? is with you on this this journey because uh, just like all the entrepreneurs that came before us, it's not a one-man show, right? Yeah. Only Chuck Norris does that, but that's fake, right? <laughs> but for, 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 for a team for, to even have a chance of becoming successful or have the chance to even scale, you have to have the right management team or the right co-founders. Who were the co-founders you had to go through and how did you convince them to join in? Yeah, so I was the, the sole founder uh, when we initially launched it, but then yeah. since then, over the last year and a half, we've we've built an amazing team, uh, and that's been a huge part of our success. So, mm-hmm. our head of our head of marketing and customer growth is uh, a woman named Diana Tan, who I worked with at Lazada, and is a good friend of mine, and and she's done a fantastic job of helping us scale up to the to the the scale that we're at now. Yeah. Um, and then our our development team is amazing, also. So, uh, a guy named Jeff Asis is our our head of product development. And he comes from a, a cool mix of uh, a little bit of startup experience and a little bit of uh, larger corporate tech experience. Nice. Uh, and he's built an amazing uh, product development team at Goodwork as well. Uh, and so the two of them combined with with uh, some of our, uh, you know, the rest of our team, that many mm-hmm. of which started as fresh grads or uh, just a couple of years out of school and have now mm-hmm. really built up in the role and have learned an enormous amount in the last last year of our growth. Uh, so we've got a, a super impressive team uh, so far and uh, really excited about continuing to build the company with, uh, with the team that we have. All right. Now, uh, let's take our second break. And when we come back, let's talk about how you now grew and how you hustled and applied everything that you learned from, from you know, investing to working in Lazada. Well, let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. 
Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back from a break. We're still with Andrew. And Andrew, not why am I? What what is wrong with me today? Andrew Koger of GoodWork.ph. Okay, so Andrew, um, let's talk about good work now, right? You mentioned uh, prior to the break that uh, you had an amazing team, and but you were a solo founder for a while. You said, and you started this out. How difficult was that when you started everything out and you made that jump? Even though you had some resources. Being a one-man team is never easy. I had to go through that process too for a good four years. It's a fucking ama- I learned a lot of uh, uh, stuff, but oh my God, it was so difficult. What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough, but I, I think the, uh, yeah, I was really excited about the opportunity and, okay. and could see that really nobody had, again, nobody had built something at scale uh, in the service economy and could mm-hmm. see um, you know, how there's so much value to offer both the customers that are looking for high quality services, but are always nervous about, uh, trust and quality and price. And then on the service provider side, I was already starting to meet service providers that 
you know, really passionate, really wanted to be successful and then struggled to, to scale up their business. They were always saying that they were kind of at 40 or 50% utilization. Right. They could get more jobs. They just didn't have a way to access new customers. Mm-hmm. And so as we were going through the, you know, as I was going through the initial journey of building the initial, you know, MVP of the app and, and things like that, uh, it was hard for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were really excited about the, the opportunity that, that presented itself. Got it. Now, um, one thing also about the service uh, industry too, you know, especially with with help and cleaning and whatnot, whatever you guys do in goodwork.ph. Um, I'm, I'm curious about two things. First one is you uh, worked with the service industry, which is highly localized. Sometimes they scoff like, oh my God, she's English. I, ble- I know some lead. I know some lead. Oh, and whatnot. You know, that, that's a stigma and fucking annoying sometimes, right? Because even with me, and I tend to do technically business in English, I get the same shit. How did you overcome those little challenges, especially, you know, uh, though they understood English, there's always that stigma, ah, English, I know some lead. What is this, right? I, so I very quickly, uh, you know, once we got the, the, the first version of the technology built, that worked on it, already started hiring a great team and, and uh, always looks for people that are really smart, mm-hmm. really creative pro- mm-hmm. problem solvers, and are really passionate about the mission that we're on, which is to okay. build a platform that mm-hmm. helps offer amazing, affordable, trustworthy services to the customers and also mm-hmm. helps to empower all the service workers. And so, um, you know, our team's amazing at finding good service providers, inviting them to join the platform, doing the the training, the interview, the onboarding, uh, to make sure that we've got service providers that really want to be successful and are really passionate about, uh, you know, being their own entrepreneurs on our platform. uh, And then also making sure that, you know, we have really good quality workers uh, for the customers. So obviously the business model, correct me if I'm wrong, and again, I'm just being naive, um, it's B2B to C, right? Uh, there's a, the supply side is B2B because you work with entities that already do service for uh, customers. Is that correct? It's, so we have a mix on the supply side. We have okay. some, some SMEs, mm-hmm. uh, but most are, are independent workers. Oh, wow. So these are indies that are literally just, okay, I'm a, I'm a, I will clean your AC, I will uh, mow your lawn, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that we have a hard to acquire and the supply. How did you even do that? I mean, it's been, it's been a year and a half of, of slowly building up the, mm-hmm. the supply that we have and mm-hmm. the network of workers we have. Um, we do a lot, there's a lot of Facebook groups, for instance, of returnees from the Middle East, for instance. So oh, we wow. have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of uh, cleaners that, Maybe we're working as a as a maid in the Middle East, and now they've come back to Manila and they're looking for work. Nice. Um, some like that. Some that worked mm. for for a company in Manila previously, and then they wanted to work independently. Mm. Um, we, a whole different mix. Everyone's got their nice. own story, but uh, we, I, you know, that's kind of what we're we're shooting for. We want to, as much right. as possible, connect the customer with the skilled worker directly, got and it. not go through so many. Um, you know, middleman, middle man, right, right, correct. And because usually the middleman still take a cut and that, that, that also shoots up the, the cost of actually getting the service done, right? Exactly. And that's a, a big thing we're focused on is making services really affordable. Correct. So historically, historically, home services tended to be a little bit more premium. The prices tended to be higher. It wasn't really something that 
you know, an emerging kind of middle class, normal person could could always afford. Um, we're really focused on that. We want to make services available to everybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's shopping on Lazada or shopping on Shopee, we want them to also get home services on Goodwork. So we put in a, a huge amount of effort, both in our operations mm-hmm. and also using our technology to make services really, really affordable. So it's only... Okay. 349 pesos for a wow. studio condo home mm-hmm. cleaning. We bring wow. all the materials, no extra charges. Mm-hmm. 199 pesos for laundry delivery where we pick it up and deliver it for free in 48 That's hours. Crazy. So we're trying to make it really, really affordable mm-hmm. so that we, we open up the market to, to as many people as possible. What what else can they do in the app on the supply side? I mean, like uh, what services can people uh, get in terms of, you know, of course there's again the, the, the condo cleaning and whatnot. What else? Because again, you, you built a great supply side now. Yeah, so we've tried to find a good balance where uh, we're focused on on the most popular home services, mm-hmm. and by focusing on on a uh, by focusing on categories, we can put in a lot of effort to make sure the quality is really good. Yeah. Um, but we do have a variety, so we're not just a single home cleaning vertical or a single laundry vertical. We try to be an app for customers that they can use for everything they need at home. So we have home cleaning, we have laundry, we have some home repair services, like you get aircon cleaned, mm-hmm. for instance. And then we also have uh, some really exciting beauty services also that um, were have been smaller for us historically, but we see a really big opportunity for home nail, nail services and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. All right, now on the demand side, which is the hard... Uh, part really, um, and I, I I had to live this life as well because my first startup called Party File was eventually technically what you're doing. My my supply side was the nightclubs. I got people into that, and uh, I I had an app that lets you get to the guest list of all these clubs. It's easier to get the 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 supply side. It's fucking hard to do the demand side. My goodness, and it's also super expensive coming from if you're gonna do it as a mobile app. How did you build up that 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 demand side and making sure that you acquire the right users without burning the bank? Yeah, so we this is a, a big part of where Lazada and Rocket Experience came in. Um, we've really tried to adopt, excuse me, adopt real best practices for, for online marketing and customer acquisition uh, through Facebook, through Instagram, through Google, to try and keep that customer acquisition cost. Got as it. low as possible through our, our paid um, our paid channels. So we've had a lot of our growth has come B2C through online marketing. Mm-hmm. And then as, as the service quality has gotten really good and really consistent, we have over 4.5 star ratings out of five across all the categories. Um, we get great reviews on, on our app and, and on Facebook and Instagram. That's helped us grow more organically also. So we get a lot of word of mouth recommendations from happy customers that, that tell their friends that finally there's an app where I can get really affordable, really high quality home services. And that's, that's very exciting. And then the other thing that we're really focused on is growing in terms of more usage per user. Yeah. So unit economics, different, well, the unit economics, but also the, the repurchase rate or the retention right. of, of the customer stickiness, stickiness right. again. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. So, for all of these categories, home cleaning and laundry services, once you find a service provider that you really like, mm-hmm. it's a service you'll keep coming back to over and over again. So we yeah. see that 
the majority of our daily orders are actually coming from repeat customers coming back again, which is a really big advantage. Right. So we pay the customer acquisition costs to acquire the customer in the first place. But then when they come back over and over again, you don't have to pay any marketing. Any marketing costs on those and that's orders. amazing because um, I remember in party file right and this is also the 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 the, the big uh, glitch in the dating model right the end goal of a dating app and also a party app per se is to get you into the club and the more frequently you use that then yeah you're gonna use the club but eventually they're gonna meet someone that will now not they won't need uh, the app to, to, to fucking do it anymore because they become repeat customers. Same with dating, right? The end goal is to let you meet someone you're going to fall in love with. When they fall in love with someone, you're never going to use the app anymore, right? How did you prevent that from happening and they still keep using your app to book that, that, that uh, frequent service provider that they have? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a big part of our focus. Right. We try and solve that on both the demand side and the supply side. Right. On the... On the supply side, we, um, we, we try to only work with, with service providers that are really committed to using good work. And so okay. by keeping their schedule full, and that's okay. a big part of our, of our backend technology is we have mm. really powerful auto-dispatching uh, nice. technologies. So mm. if you come to our office, we don't have 50 people on the phones dispatching all the jobs. Mm. It's all done automatically by the system. Nice. Uh, and so by keeping the workers' schedule full, right. um, we're able we'll to keep them more anymore. loyal to the platform. Exactly. Right. Okay. On, the, on the demand side, we try and there's kind of two philosophies. One mm. is to make it really easy to use the app to book again. Got it. So once you use GoodWork the first time, when you open your app afterwards, we have a big book again feature right on the homepage. So it's the same service provider, same price, all the details are saved. It's like a one-click repurchase option. So it's very easy to come back on the platform. And then the second part is that we try to incentivize people to stay on the platform. So right. we've already done a, a really powerful reward system where for every 10 services, you then get a voucher for your 11th service. Yeah. So it's kind of like what Starbucks has done very successfully in Manila mm -hmm. and other companies also. So we try to create you know, a, a real reason to stay on the platform and, and keep coming back. And then little things also, like people like the, the trust and the comfort of knowing that you know, good work customer support is there to help. And, and it's nice to have it uh, all happen through a, through a seamless, seamless app experience. And that is amazing because, again, that's hard to do. Um, and you need uh, to have the right talent, the right strategies as well, and the right growth hacking um, uh, you know, uh, strategies and, and uh, mechanism because the product, and marketing should work hand in hand in, in this type of execution because if it's just if you're just marketing, 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 and acquiring new customers, and you have a leaky bucket, all of these right. you know they're gonna fall off on the first couple of steps. And especially in an app, the best apps always have that way to keep them coming back, right? Which you've done. Which now I will ask about that money. Um, you you made some amazing. Uh, uh, milestones lately. First of all, you're in the top 50 rising, top 50 rising startups in Southeast Asia uh, last uh, this year, and also you just recently launched 1.6 million seed round. Now, mad props because you also have some localized competitors, which technically are like, hey, you know, like uh, they offer like, hey, you can also clean blah blah blah. 
but you just up the ante and just killed them in just one snap like Thanos uh, <laughs> with this round. My goodness, how were you able to get this done? Yeah, so we we um, our our focus really over from when we started the company to to today was really about building that initial you know getting that product market fit, getting an app that was really easy to use, a technology that worked, right. uh, building a great a great. Uh, a great team and a great customer base that's excited to use our services and keep coming back. Mm-hmm. And over the course of a year, we we grew our, our daily orders by 100x from the beginning wow. of 2019 to January of 2020. Uh, we saw 100x increase in our, our daily and monthly orders on the platform. Wow. Uh, and so with that, we're able to go to uh, to the, the investor community and and pitch this opportunity of Mm-hmm. Look, you know, kind of what I said to you at the beginning, that was from the pitch, was uh, Grab, Lazada, Shopee, mm-hmm. Food Panda, Ninja Van. You've seen all of these e-commerce platforms in other parts of the economy. Right. Service economy, people spend roughly the same amount right. uh, of their personal income, but there's not yet a big e-commerce player mm-hmm. uh, in that market. And so that combination of the early traction that we had already demonstrated, plus the really big potential market, um, got, got some investors excited, which was awesome. That is amazing. Now, all right, uh, before I let you go, I have some questions because there are some things that you really, that really stand out that, that not a lot of people have done here uh, and whatnot. I have a question about user acquisition, right? When you're, uh, for, say, for, for those people or for, for any startup founder that is listening to this, right, what's your tip or what's your advice to properly do um, user acquisition? Again, there's, so they stick, Right, a lot of people can get lucky, like oh, boom, it's a hockey stick, but in reality, it's just a big blip, and then things go down. Right? How do you make sure that there's continuous growth, though they plateau, but it becomes a ladder per se, to make sure that that continuity, uh, uh, you know, uh, happens and sticks as well? Yeah, I think we're always trying to uh, mix together quantitative analysis and more qualitative uh, storytelling analysis. Got it. And the two together give us a big advantage. So mm-hmm. we measure everything in terms of conversion rates. Okay. So for our paid channels, it's you know from Facebook and, and Instagram, how many people see the ad, how many people click, how many people install the app, right. where they go in the app, mm-hmm. do they book, uh, do they come back and book again? And we know all of those numbers and we're able to optimize uh, either our ad strategy or our product development based on those insights. Got it. But then we're also always trying to get more qualitative uh, human intelligence also. Mm. So we, uh, we do a lot of work reaching out to our customers. When you do a first booking with Good Work, uh, we try to give you a call within that week and ask how it went, what feedback you have, any ideas for things we could improve. Mm. Uh, and so we're always trying to combine together understanding who our customer base is, what concerns they have, what they are trying to accomplish, and then also the quantitative data of what sorts of conversion rates we're seeing and, and where our best customer acquisition channels are and try to kind of mash those together to give us a, a more full understanding of how we're performing and, and where we should try to improve. Okay. Now, in terms of fundraising, all right, this is uh, most seed rounds now uh, are happening at, at, at the probably the same, uh, around the same check size per se or same fund round size but fewer and fewer get to do it, right? Um, there's probably a handful or 
you know, a couple of handful that actually get to raise a decent round uh, now in the startup community in the Philippines. What do you think is missing? I don't know how how you you've exposed, but what's your uh, tip for people who are fundraising? Because Rao, are it's unprecedented times. Nobody wants to fucking touch that checkbook and write a check, right? But if if they do, they there must be something in their business model. What's your advice for startups who are fundraising now uh, or will be fundraising soon uh, to at least increase their chances of getting that next round and getting that next uh, runway ready on? Yeah, I, I still think the Philippines is a really, really attractive market. It's something that brought me here in the first place and, and is something that I, I continue to believe more and more strongly in great demographics, 100 million people, emerging middle class, all those things that, that we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, and if you look at um, VC investing and, and startup investing around Southeast Asia, you still have a lot of the investors are, are a little bit more focused on Indonesia, Vietnam, some other countries. Right. Uh, but I think that's that's bound to change and you, you see that happening already a little bit. Um, what happened with Coins and uh, Coins and Gojack, that great success, Yep. I think is a really good milestone that, that should help a lot of investors look more towards the Philippines also, which is, which is really, uh, really encouraging. Yep. So I think the, the macro context is really good. And then company specific, I think it's just about getting enough, getting enough. Uh, if it's, if it's uh, angel and seed stage, getting enough early traction to prove that there's a real problem that you're solving and, and you're able to, uh, solve that problem for customers and you've got a, uh, a good technology app or e-commerce website that, that works well to, to solve those, those customer needs uh, and being able to show that, that growth at the beginning and match it up with what the long-term opportunity is. Uh, I think that's, that's the best formula. I and mean, it's really hard to do that though. Right? Getting, correct. Correct. Getting, I mean, it's easy to talk about it, but getting, you got to back it up. Exactly. Hustle. Exactly. Right. And again, thank you very much, Andrew. But unfortunately, I have to let you go. But again, thank you very much. But before I let you go, Andrew, invite people over to download Good Work. And what what should they expect very soon? Especially that you're going to be grinding, and I'm pretty sure pretty sure you're also going to be releasing new uh, exciting stuff for us here. Yeah, definitely. So you can get the Good Work app on Android or iOS. Everything we do is on the app. Uh, so it's kind of like grab or on cost in that way. Um, we, we do everything we can to make it really easy to, to book services. Super affordable. So again, 349 for a studio, 399 for a one-bedroom condo. All materials included, no extra charges. We promise there's nothing else. Um, and you can book for services whenever you want. You pick the time and we come. We've added a bunch of add-on cleaning services, which people like a lot also. So we recently launched... Uh, ironing of clothes, we can wow. do balcony cleaning, fridge cleaning, a bunch wow. of extra extra services that people like. Wow. Uh, laundry, super fast services, in 48 hours you get your clothes back. Laundries in Makati, Pasig, Tagig, uh, and Mandaluyong. Uh, the wow. rest of our services are across all of Metro Manila. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, a great service. I use it personally. I've got laundry picking up uh, this afternoon. <laughs> actually, for myself. So I recommend right. it. And uh, and then there's there's more to come. We're always always adding new things. Uh, we're able to relaunch after the lockdown pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in all of our categories, the, the beauty services that I mentioned right. earlier, those are those are coming soon. We're getting those mm-hmm. up to up to speed as soon as the uh, the the new uh, Department of Health rulings come out. 
so really exciting times and and uh we'd love to have all of your listeners as customers all right again thank you very much and congratulations for all the amazing stuff you've ever done you've, you've, you've done thank you so much I, I really appreciate it this was a lot of fun all right now before i let you go follow us in whatever podcast after listening to and again if we did save some jargon it will be in the hustle share uh uh website in, in our show notes at hustleshare.com and if you want to help grow this show and be involved in who you want to have us guests go to the hustle share community on facebook and don't forget to message us on hustle share chatbot m.me slash hustle share powered by chatbot ph again andrew appreciate it thank you very much All right, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.